Rachel and I want to wish you all a happy Easter. We're delighted to have you with us today. Looking forward to all that God still is going to continue to do in us. I uh, find it interesting that Easter fell on April Fool's Day. There's so many things that could be said, and I'm sure you've seen them all over the place about all of the, you know, I died, April Fool's, I'm still, like, they're everywhere, right? Um, But I I can appreciate a good practical joke. Anybody else? I'm not typically the one who's involved in executing them, uh, because I have a hard time keeping a straight face. But I appreciate them, right? Uh, One one of my favorite ones to remember is, uh, you know, every family has a routine, right? Typical everyday workday kind of routine that everybody goes through. And, you know, mom and, and, and this particular family, the mom was the one who would get up and make the coffee and kind of get everything going in the morning. And, and so this particular April 1st day, she made her way across the, the, the kitchen, very sleepily rubbing the sleep out from under her eyes as she grabs the carafe from the coffee pot and goes over to the, kitchen, to the, the sink and begins to pour it out. And Then when she reaches to turn the water on, as she lifts up the lever, wham, it hits her. All the water is coming out of the little hose there on the side where her children and husband have taken a rubber band and and tied it together so that when the water turns on, she gets pelted right in the face. And it was perfect timing, right? Perfect placement, the whole nine yards. Have you seen the video of that? it's, It's out there. How many of you have experienced that personally? Wow, you have some really rotten kids. Let me say that. Um, just, just kidding, just kidding, because I would have done that to my parents if that was something we could have. Nonetheless, the kids are dying laughing. Her husband's dying laughing, but not realizing he's just going to die a little bit later. You know what I'm saying? Um, there's certain things you just don't mess with, and that's mama in the morning before she's woke up. That's just the way it works. Um, so I, I appreciate a good practical joke. Another one that I remember, and this is a true story, but I'll leave people nameless, um, there was a, a group of guys that made the way every year, like usual, they would make their way to, uh, down to Texas when OU was playing somewhere in the state of Texas. And, and this was years and years ago, back before o, Oklahoma had the lottery. So as they make their way to Texas, one of the people in the group is a young man who's just graduated from, uh, from college and he's married and he and his wife are beginning to tackle that mountain of debt called a student loan. And as they make their way, uh, they stop at every gas, every time they stopped, it was the trip to Texas Tech, and every gas station they stopped at, they would buy these lottery tickets, setting up the joke. they buy these scratch-off tickets and, and play as they go. Well, finally, on the way back, they decide it's time, and they stop at the one gas station in all of Texas that at the time wasn't selling lottery tickets. That didn't deter them. They come out and they say, hey, we got you a scratch off. Here you go. It was the last one they had. They hand it to him and he begins to scratch one after the other. And he's getting more and more and more excited the whole way because everyone is the grand prize winner. And he's getting more excited. And finally, he gets off the last one and he is elated. He jumps out of the car and he's shouting and he's cheering and he's dancing and he's doing the cabbage patch. And if you don't know what that is, you can look it up later. But he's doing a dance and he's just so excited. All the other guys get out and they're high fiving him and they're chest bumping him. Yeah, it's awesome. How do you redeem it? Oh, let me see. He flips it over and he's been telling, oh, this is going to change our life. It's going to pay off our student loans. And he is going down the list of the great things this is going to do for his family, right? And he gets down to the end and it says, if you want to redeem this prize, you can look for Santa Claus to show up with it this Christmas and put it in your stocking or better luck getting it from the person who gave you this ticket. 
because it was an entire hoax. It was a joke. So he didn't win anything. Now, they're all still friends, which is the amazing thing to me. But still to this day, we tell the story and we tell the story and he's still the butt of the joke. I, I can appreciate a good practical joke, especially one that continues to live on. Amen? I don't mind those. I think they're funny. Needless to say, Easter falling on April 1st is an interesting situation, if you will. It's very intriguing to me. Because as a society, we're moving more and more and more into a post-Christian culture. We're moving away from the foundational beliefs of Christianity that have held it together and on solid footing for nearly two millennia. And no, this is not an April Fool's joke. It's just the state of our country and the way things are moving. It seems like every single week, how many of you get like a thousand email messages a week because they're all spam? Somebody has sold your email and it's absolute garbage, right? I am really good at selecting at the top and selecting at the bottom and hitting delete all. And it doesn't bother me at all. If it was really important and someone sent it to me, hopefully they'll send it again. I just, yeah, dump on it. Forget it. Let's move on. I'm not going to have it. Well, it seems like every week I get an email from some research group that has said, oh, here's how Americans are thinking and believing and behaving in regard to the claims of Christianity and how, as a whole, we're becoming more and more skeptical. We become more enlightened, more enlightened. We understand more. We think we know more. And as we become more enlightened, we don't think, it seems, we don't think we need to blindly believe what scriptures teach anyway, because after all, they're being told that the Bible is just another book that was written by men and not by God himself. They're being told that this is a collection of stories that are not all true and are meant to enslave people to an ideology that is pro-slavery, anti-women, exclusionary, and so on. The thought among the intellectual elite of our day is that you would have to be an absolute fool to believe anything that the Bible says and commit yourself to it is utterly ridiculous to think that this book, this Bible could have been written by God, that it could have been penned by the Lord through men under his inspiration to think that it all fits together. That's what they would want you to believe, that you are a fool to believe those things. They would say that only a fool believes in creation. That is how Genesis wrote it, how it's written there in the story of creation and how God put it together. You would have to be a fool to believe that. They would tell you that you would have to be a fool to believe that God parted the Red Sea for the children of Israel to be able to walk across on dry land. In fact, I heard a story just this week about a college professor and one of his students that would go back and forth on uh, different biblical claims of what it said in their class time, and the professor would always scoff and make fun of the kid because he believed these old ridiculous stories that were absolutely not true, and no one today should believe them. Well, it came, to, came about in class, they began to talk about the, uh, the children of Israel and, and Moses leading the Exodus and them crossing the Red Sea. Well, in the story, the professor says, ah, we know better today, it's not true. And the young man said, do tell, please enlighten us. And he said, absolutely. We know, historically speaking, that the time period that the story was written about was a time of exceeding drought in all of Egypt and in the entire region. In fact, it was so bad that the Red Sea, the, the water level had dropped so much so that at the space the Bible says they would have crossed, it would have been only six inches deep. 
Only six inches of water. They didn't cross on dry land. Well, the young man begins to just laugh hysterically. I mean, just completely lost it. And the, and the professor said, son, I don't know who you think you are, but we'll never have that kind of disrespect in my classroom. And the young man said, oh, no, no, professor, I'm sorry, you misunderstand. I'm not laughing at you to be disrespectful, but it just makes the story that much more amazing. Because if they walked across on dry land, that means they drowned, God drowned the entire Egyptian army in six inches of water. That's the kind of world that we're living in, that they would rather believe some other side of the story because it just couldn't be that the Bible was true. The intellectuals today would have you believe you have to be a fool to believe in the virgin birth, that you have to be a fool that Jesus actually did the miracles that were claimed about him. Because after all, they don't deny that Jesus lived, they just deny that he was God. Historically, there's too much evidence that Jesus lived in the time period the Bible says. Too many stories that were actually uh, accounted for by other uh, historians of the day. And so they say you have to be a fool to believe that because these stories were just made up stories to embolden this would-be um, rebel leader so that others would follow him in a coup attempt against the Roman Empire. The intellectual elites today would have you believe that Jesus, you've got to be a fool to believe that he actually fulfilled the prophecies in Scripture, that he died on a cross, that he rose from the dead. You'd have to be a fool to believe those things. You'd have to be a fool to believe any of that. And in today's cultural setting, it's not just okay to tell you that you're a fool, but it is approved to bash Christians and Christianity as a whole publicly. Many today in our Great society here in America don't believe any more in the Bible and this book than they did at the time of Jesus' ministry on earth, uh, at the time of the disciples spreading the gospel. They don't believe in it any more now than they did then. They don't believe any more in it now than they did in any time period throughout history when there was a great advancement of the gospel. I believe many today are kind of stuck in the same feelings that the disciples had yesterday. Because on Friday, they were certain that Jesus was who he said he was until he died. And now they're wondering what in the world's happened. I'm sure they're thinking, oh man, we are such idiots. We are complete fools. If anybody finds out where we're hiding, we're dead. We're next on the Roman hit list. We have been such fools to follow and believe. There's no way this is going to turn out good. I'm sure that those were some of the feelings they wrestled with during the time period from Jesus' death until the resurrection. They hid out because they knew that they were next on the, the hit list from the Roman squad because the Romans didn't play around. If you led an insurrection, they didn't just want to kill your leader. They wanted to kill everybody who was a follower. That's how they stamped out every uprising that came their way. They were certain, the disciples were certain that Jesus was the Messiah because of the things they had seen, because of the words they had heard, and because of the, the prophecies that they had seen fulfilled. But many of them also believed, just like Judas Iscariot, that he was going to establish his kingdom on earth at that time through a governmental overthrow. They thought, yes, he's here to save us and not just save us, but to deliver us from the Roman occupiers. Now here they are. They've got these feelings of being taken for fools and they, those feelings begin to overwhelm them. Any of you ever been there? 
where you've made a decision and yet you're still questioning, is this right or not? And those feelings of, man, I've made the wrong decision. I am such a fool, begin to feel overwhelming. I've been there. I think we can all relate to something along those lines. Now, the disciples, they did what they could, right? They waited as patiently as possible for three days. As patiently as you or I could, if the doctor had ordered some tests, and here we are stuck waiting for those dreaded results, right? It's like, oh no, are we ever going to get the news back? And is it going to be any good, or is it going to be the worst possible thing that the doctor said? I've never understood why every doctor felt the need to scare you to death just from a meeting. Wait until there's just cause to tell me that I'm going to die. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't have to understand now. You can explain that later. Right now, just give me some good news while we wait on the results. But no, they give you the worst possible solution. But then, as the disciples wait on the third day, the ladies go to the tomb to prepare Jesus' body. They find that the grave is empty, that the uh, uh, stone has been rolled back. And they come back and they report what they have seen and what they've heard to the disciples and in Luke, it says that Peter ran faster than everybody else to get there. He took off and beat all of the other disciples who wanted to see if it was true. He beat them all there because he just had to know, was it true? He races to find out. Then Jesus appears to them all, not just once, but over and over. He shows up in their hiding place. He shows up right in the room where they're at. He walks right in. And, and over and over, he demonstrates and proves that he's risen. Even to the point that when Thomas says, I'll not believe that he is risen until I see and touch the scars in his hands and the wound in his side. And immediately, Jesus appears to them and demonstrates he is risen. He is the Savior. He is alive. Over and over and over, for the next 40 days, Jesus appears to them, proving who he is before ascending to the right hand of the Father in heaven. Now, I don't know about you, but if, if it were me, I would think that the disciples would be fools if they had made all of this up, as some claim, as a means to gain a cult following that they hoped would lead to wealth and riches and then to die a martyr's death to chase after some almighty dollar. That, that would be foolish, right? They would be fools to have given their lives, endured the torture and the beatings in hopes that somehow they might get their names written down somewhere in the annals of history as, as being a part of some obscure religious sect of the day. They would absolutely be fools if that were the case. They would have been fools to try and invoke the name of their dead master to try to perform some alleged miracle like we see happening in the book of Acts over and over and over again. They would have been fools if Jesus were dead. But friends, they were no man's fool. They were not fools at all because no one would be willing to give their lives or endure the torture for something that isn't real. To me, the fact that they were willing to give their lives, to lay it down, is proof enough that they knew what they believed and in whom they had believed was true and real and authentic and very much so alive. They also knew he was worthy of enduring the same fate for in order to advance the kingdom that he had established. Friends, they were no man's fool. 
This same thought process in the day that the Bible was written was captured very well. The essence of it was captured very well by the Apostle Paul. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Most people think, that's not a very normal place to go on an Easter message. Just hang with me, okay? Because Paul, he really captures the essence of this plight of the foolishness of man versus the foolishness of God altogether. We'll begin reading in verse number 18. It'll be on the screens if you'd like to follow along. It says that the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are headed for destruction. But we who are being saved know that it is the very power of God. As the scripture says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and discard the intelligence of the intelligent. I feel like that happens to me every day by my kids, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, Dad, we used to do it that way. It doesn't work that way anymore. Let me show you how to work your device. I used to think I was pretty tech savvy until my kids got a hold of my stuff. Verse 20, so where does this leave the philosophers, the scholars, and the world's brilliant debaters? God has made the wisdom of this, book, of this world look foolish. Since God in his wisdom saw to it that the world would never know him through human wisdom. He has used our foolish preaching to save those who believe. It is foolish to the Jews who ask for a sign from heaven. And it is foolish to the Greeks who seek human wisdom. So when we preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended and the Gentiles say it's all nonsense. Those two spirits still pervade in our world today, man. But to those called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. This foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest of human plans, and God's weakness is stronger than the greatest of human strength. Friends, that's amazing thought and amazing principles for us to live by, that it may seem foolish to believe what this book says, but it is not foolish at all because it is the power of God to those who are being saved. It is the wisdom of, the, of God to those who have found Jesus to be the answer to all of life's issues. Friends, I don't know about you, but I'm not interested in being any man's fool, amen? I have no interest at all, but I am more than happy to be God's fool. I'll be God's fool who will cling to an old rugged cross as the price paid for redemption from my sins so that I might know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll be God's fool, amen? I'll be God's fool who will believe that Jesus did rise from the grave to be the firstborn from the dead as a forerunner of the way to eternal life with, with God in heaven above. I'll happily, happily be God's fool who will believe that because he lives, I can have all that is promised in this word. Amen? I'm happy to do that. I'll be God's fool who will believe that all of God's word is true. If he said it, then he intended it for us today. I don't get to pick and choose which parts I want to believe. I don't get to pick and choose and, and cut up certain parts and say, well, this is good today, but that really doesn't work. Friends, if it's in here, then it's in here for us to live by today. It's, he stays the same. I don't mind being God's fool who believes that I have a job to do on this earth, and that's to accomplish the very same things that Jesus did since Jesus was the one who gave that command. 
We have a job. We have a role. We have something to do. It's not just to sit back and see how much money we can accumulate, but it is to advance the gospel of Jesus still in this world today. I'll be God's fool who believes that this world is not my home. I am an alien and a stranger just passing through. My citizenship is in heaven above. Amen? I'm not worried about what this old world has to say. I'm worried about what God has to say. I'll be God's fool who believes that living according to the Bible isn't meant to be the butt of a TV show's joke, but is a lifestyle of love and joy and peace and is meant to make a difference in the world around me today. I'll be God's fool. I'll be God's fool who says God's way is right. Regardless of what society says, a doctor says, a politician says, I will believe and cling to what Scripture has taught because I will be God's fool. I'll be God's fool who willingly gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. I'll be God's fool. I'll be no man's fool, but I'll be happy to be God's fool. Now, perhaps you're sitting here today and you're like, hey, yeah, that's great, preacher, that's great. It all sounds good for you. But as for me, I don't think so. See, I've lived too long in this thing called life, this place called earth. I've, I've, I've been around the block once or twice, and I've seen that not everything the Bible says can be taken at face value. Not everything can be understood. In fact, you need about seven PhDs to really grasp what it says. Friends, that's the same way the Catholic Church taught it back in the Dark Ages when they didn't want anybody else reading the Scriptures for themselves. But thank God he provided a way for us to be able to read it ourselves and understand it ourselves. In fact, the Bible says that's one of the jobs of the Holy Spirit is to lead us into the truth so that we can understand. But if it deviates from what he said in here, it deviates from life's use out here. This is still true. It's still good. And this old book, it still says that Jesus lives today. He is risen. He is risen indeed. I will take what this says over what any philosopher says. I will take what this says over any, any, any doctor or any a lawyer or any politician. I'll take what this old book says because this book has stood the test of time for nearly 2,000 years. The last time I checked, doctors were still practicing anyway. The last time I checked, an attorney was still practicing law. I'm not interested in somebody who's practicing. I'm interested in somebody who's been there, done that, and gotten the t-shirt. In fact, Jesus left the t-shirt behind, and we know it as the Shroud of Turin. It was left in the grave to prove and demonstrate that what once a body, what was once a body left there for people to, to come and commemorate is no longer there because he's alive. He didn't need those old grave clothes because he lives, amen. That's the truth of what we have today. I'll be no man's fool, but I will be God's fool. I have no problem stepping back and saying, I don't know all of the answers. I have no problem stepping back and saying, you know what, I'm not King Solomon. I don't, I'm not the wisest person in the world, but I do believe what the Bible says, that he who lacks wisdom, let him ask, and he will, God will give it without measure. He'll give it abundantly. He'll pour it out so that we can have his wisdom. I may not be the best dad, I may not be uh, the best husband, but I believe that God can help me through that, and it's because he's proven he's capable of anything. He's capable of anything. 
After all, Jesus rose from the grave. After all, Jesus came out alive, showing us, demonstrating to us that he lives. Friends, I'll be no man's fool. Whether or not we believe what everyone else has told us is not the point. Because there's too many stories around that tell us one thing, but yet we know differently. In fact, it was the Bible who first said that the world, the earth was not flat. It was the Bible in Isaiah, he says, you set the world on its axis so that it would spin. There was a day, and even there are fools today who believe that it's a flat earth. And nothing could be further from the truth, scripturally speaking. We can look around, and I'm going to give you two stories as we uh, begin to, to head for a closing today. These stories illustrate that what everyone else says may not always be true, because everyone else said that Steve Jobs was all washed up, that he'd never returned to the company that he built, that Apple was in a hopeless state, it was going to go under, and everyone would lose their entire investment. But Steve Jobs knew better. He had known better since the very beginning of Apple Macintosh computers. He knew better since the very get-go. He knew something was different about the product that they made. But dealing with the feeling of, you know, it's not going to last was something they had endured from the very beginning because, you see, there were three partners who started Apple computers. Steve Jobs, Steve Wozniak, and then a third guy that we only know of because of Apple's fame today. And that guy's name was Ronald Wayne. Ronald Wayne invested and helped get them started, helped with the legal paperwork. And just 12 days into Apple's existence, cashed in his investment, his stocks, and said, I'll take what I can get. This is never going anywhere. He cashed out for $800. 800 100 you, you realize that Apple has more money than the U.S. government. They have more money than most governments around the world, cash on hand, in the bank. The money that really works, you know, not on credit. Today, had he stayed with them, that same one-third share would have been worth billions upon billions upon billions of dollars. His children's 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 children couldn't have spent it all in their lifetimes. Now, I know some of you are thinking, well, you haven't met my kids, preacher. They could have. <laughs> some of you are thinking, you haven't met my wife. I'm not going there. <laughs> Imagine had he hung on to it. Even though he knew, even though everyone else said it's never going anywhere, even after they forced Steve Jobs out and he comes back, oh, it's never going anywhere. He proved them wrong. People said Jesus is never going anywhere. He's dead. He's never coming back. And yet we're here worshiping him today. Another friend of mine once told me of a story of an investment that he made. But when he decided to make that investment, everyone... Every person he talked to said, don't do it. Don't waste your money. It's going nowhere. Let me tell you about that company that went nowhere. Today, nearly every electronic computer device in the entire world 
is powered by this little processing chip that a company called Intel makes. Back in the 80s, my friend, against all sound judgment, against every, every investor's advice, decided to go ahead and invest $100,000 into this company. Just a few short months later, that investment was cashed out at over a million dollars. Because he didn't care what everybody else said. Because he knew this was going to be different. He knew there was something unique about this opportunity and this time. It may seem like a fool's errand to everybody else, but this is going to work. And it did. Now, why would I use money as an illustration of all days today on Easter? Well, because the value is known. We understand the value of currency and of money today. And the truth is that we are much more valuable than any dollar. In fact, we are worth the soul of one man one person is worth more than all of the combined wealth of the world. You are worth that. Jesus left streets of gold to come to the earth to provide a way for me and for you to know him and to live with him forever and ever. Amen? That's what Jesus came to do. That's why he came to earth. You see, the beauty of the Easter experience and the cross is that in Jesus' broken body, we have proof that God will do whatever it takes to be with us in our mess. And in the blood that was spilled on that day on the cross, we have the proof that God will do whatever it takes to get us out of our mess. He's in it with us and also helping to pull us through it. And so today as we head for our, our, our conclusion, I want the words of the famed missionary evangelist Jim Elliott to ring in your ears when he simply said that he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot lose to gain what he... Uh, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Friends, you don't... It's an even exchange. I'm giving up what I can't keep anyway. And he's going to give back in return what I can't lose. That's not a fool's errand. That's the wisest decision any of us can make. With every head bowed and every eye closed. Maybe, perhaps, you're here today. And it's been a long time coming. <clears throat> Maybe today you've You've never accepted Jesus. You've come to church occasionally at Easter or Christmas. Maybe you've attended here way more than that. But you've never said yes to Jesus. You've never said, yes, I want you to be my Lord. I'm willing to exchange what I can lose in order to get what can never be taken from me, and that is eternal life. If that's you today and you say, I want to accept Jesus, I don't want to be any man's fool, but I'll be God's fool. And today I want to accept him into my life. I want to commit my life to him. Would you slip up a hand? Whether it's for a very first time or you want to recommit your life to Jesus, okay? You've allowed sin to separate you and today you want to recommit your life to him. Anybody else looking across the, across the audience? Come on, who else? In just a moment, I'm going to lead every one of us in a prayer 
whether you raise your hand or not, we're going to ask you to repeat after me. Following that, our prayer team will make their way down to the front and we're going to invite you for prayer for anything, okay? But before we do, I'd like everybody to repeat this prayer after me. Heavenly Father, I ask you to forgive me of my sins so that I can be in right standing with Jesus. Having accepted his grace and turning from my life of sin, I accept you as my Savior and ask you to be my Lord. Jesus, I commit to you. Whatever you and your words say, I will do. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, whether you raised your hand or not, if you prayed that prayer and meant it, I've got great news for you. The Bible says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that you're saved. And today you are just as saved and just as welcome into heaven as me or any of the elders or any of the staff or any preachers that you know. You're a part of God's kingdom, amen? That's the great news, you're in. The tough news is now you gotta live it. The tough news is now you gotta put it into practice. I heard Mark Driscoll say a long time ago that salvation is free but discipleship that's where it costs us everything, to follow after him. Right now, we're going to ask our elders. They're going to begin to make their way. Our elders and prayer team, they're going to come around these altars. And as we conclude, just like we would any other Sunday, we want to invite any of you who need prayer for anything. The worship team is going to lead us in another song. And as they do, if you need prayer for any reason, you got a doctor's appointment, you've got a family member that needs uh, healing or a miracle, we want to agree with you in prayer. These men and women are spirit-filled believers. They know how to pray and touch heaven. And if you need prayer for any reason, we want to agree with you.